Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, everybody, it's Holden again, back with The Sober Unicorn. Today, we have a special guest also, um, one of my friends recently by the name of Daniel joining us today. How are you, Daniel? I'm great. Happy to be here. How are you? Doing fabulous. You know, doing my busy, crazy life. So, I mean, I'm happy to get you on. Um, Daniel and I actually met at, well, kind of. Um, Daniel's a performer and uh, on stage and a singer. And I was at a event in Dallas called BDR. And um, that's where I kind of saw him there. And we never really had a conversation. And then we had mutual friends and ended up in several WhatsApp groups together, um, chit-chatting there. And so Daniel has an incredible journey and story. And so I wanted to invite him on and kind of discuss that with everybody and share, share what he has to say. So why don't you give everybody kind of like who you are, um, what your drug of choice was, and how long you've been sober? Okay, uh, my name is Daniel, and um, I identify as an addict or an alcoholic, um, depending upon where I am at the time. Um, because for me, um, addiction is uh, synonymous. You know, alcoholic and addict um, are kind of synonymous to me. Um, so um, my story is basically I drank, um, I binge drank a lot, you know, when I started from very young, um, and Looking back now, hindsight, I can see where I drank alcoholically for years. Um, at the time, I just thought, you know, it was the thing to do. It's what everyone did, binge drank and party, you know, all those things. Um, and of course, it wasn't a problem in the beginning until it started to become a problem. Um, so over the, the course of my partying career, you know, it was clubs and things of that nature at the time. Um, there were there were narcotics, recreational narcotics drugs, you know, sprinkled throughout. They were never really a problem. It was more, it was really more in the, to, uh, you know, to, to just recreational stuff, basically. So, you know, so if it was a big party weekend or holiday weekend, maybe something would show up, right? And, we, and I would do that or take in that. Then at the end of the weekend, it was done, it was gone, it was over. I was able to let that go back to my normal life. Um, and, and then over, the t- over time though, my drinking did become increasingly um, more of an issue. Um, the blackout, um, um, just, you know, just the copious amounts of alcohol that it would take at that place, right? Um, the embarrassing behavior, I was one of the ones that would, you know, get drunk, pick up all my clothes or, you know, get drunk and try and talk to someone's straight boyfriend, you know, hey, what you want your, you know, I'd make like obscene <laughs> proposals to, that I would completely not remember until the next day and people had to tell me and I'm so mortified. Um, and then I remember, you know, thinking to myself, oh, maybe I have a problem. So then I would decide, well, well you know what, I'm gonna take it easy, I'm gonna not drink. You know, I've always worked out and kept in shape and stuff and so, like, you know what, I'm gonna just not drink. I'm gonna just get myself together. And I would take six or nine months off from drinking and I would get back into shape. And 
I would still go out and do the same things that I did, but I just wouldn't drink. So I thought, ah, sweetie, I'm not an alcoholic. I could not drink, you know, when I don't want to. And this went on for some time. Um, and then eventually I moved to um, the deep south, uh, the Gulf, Gulf Coast. Um, and it seems like there it was kind of perfect storm of events. Uh, you know, I grew up up north originally, so I'm a Yankee. Um, it was my first time living in the South. And culturally, it was like culture shock. Um, you know, I grew up in a very kind of integrated atmosphere of all races, whatever. It was never a thing. But then suddenly, in the South, and this is like in the 2000s, like, you know, it was suddenly a thing. Um, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I couldn't deal with it because I just, my mind doesn't work that way. And so I found myself more and more isolated. Um, and then with that isolation, um, my drinking became more um, severe. Um, there weren't many narcotics because I couldn't find any. <laughs> um, but the drinking became really bad. Um, I started to really, uh, you know, my weight would like really balloon uh, up and down. Cause I get to that point and said, well, I need to stop. That kind of, uh, up and down yo-yo type of thing. Um, and so eventually I decided that I needed to get out of that area because I was gonna die. I, I, was, I was stifled. Um, and so uh, I decided to move to Texas. And I had a friend who I know, actually someone that I dated years ago, but we were friends uh, who had lived here and he recommended Texas to me. And at first I was against it. I wanted to go to California, right? To be looked like the liberals and you know well blue state basically you know because at the time i viewed texas as a red state well it is a red state um and i really wanted to go somewhere that was more progressive well i came to visit texas and i liked it the dallas and i liked it um it was far more progressive than what i was used to and the cost of living was much more in line with what i was you know what i what i was used to and so i, I made the decision to come to dallas so that's how i got to dallas and then of course when i got here um, I started dating around a little bit and I was still a little heavier than what I had been used to. And, you know, I had some mishaps dating or whatever. And I, I started dating this guy and he had this connection um, for crystal meth. And I had done meth over the years. Like I said, there were weekends and there were times and it was never an issue. So I had no problem doing it. Um, and I, I had a pretty good job here. And um, he, as it turns out, was, well, maybe I shouldn't make this. He seemed to have a problem because he exhibited a lot of, a lot of uh, behaviors um, to me that I later realized might have had a problem. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, always being broke, needing money, never, you know, the, the weird stories, the lies, the whole thing, right? Um, and so, we split ways. And then I was at this point sick of men in Dallas. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna show them. I'm gonna get in good shape and they're all gonna want me, blah, blah, blah. And so what's the best way to lose weight? Just go back. So this was the perfect storm. So I, I had the mindset, I had the money and I had the time. And I had an unending, you know, I had a connection, you know, an unending supply. And that's really how I got started down the road uh, to to my addiction um, 
and that road, um, you know, that was about a three year thing and I won't go through all that, but basically um, I knew pretty early on that I was in over my head. Um, and at that point, the alcohol took a back seat, but I really just used the alcohol to kind of balance out. Um, so fast forward, I'll get to the chase. I knew that I had a problem. I didn't know how to stop. I tried to stop on my own several times to no avail. Um, I was in a relationship, a marriage that was clearly falling apart. Um, I, I had, um, untreated, uh, mental illness, severe depression, basically, uh, which of course was made much worse by all the drugs and alcohol. And all of these things were happening at the same time in, and eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, I snapped, I broke. I had a complete emotional breakdown um, that was, of course, of course, brought on by the drugs and alcohol. Uh, and I knew at that point that I had to do something. You know, this was it. I had to either change somehow or just die because I knew I could not go on. You know, physically, weird things were happening to me. I was passing out, I was hearing things. You know, just weird things. And, you know, fortunately for me, since I've been in pretty good shape most of my life, I've been very healthy. But then when you're like passing out and, and doing weird things or just always dizzy and feeling like you're like walking, you know, like off balance, strange things. So um, I was, I had a different dog. I didn't have this dog, but um, I was trying to find my way into a rehab. And um, the last thing was my dog. I needed to try and find a place to someone to keep my dog while I was away. Because, you know, whenever you're falling apart, you know, well, I'll speak for myself. When I was falling apart, I was looking for every excuse. Oh, well, I can't leave, I can't miss work for that long. Or, oh, well, I have this, or I have that. Well, fortunately for me, my mental health said, no, bitch, today's the day. <laughs> and um, yeah, I had a complete breakdown. I was gonna kill myself. Um, I texted a friend who I'd previously asked to take my dog and he said, no. Um, but something in my text, I guess, registered to him, and he said, where are you? I said, at home. He came over, he looked at, he saw the condition I was in, he said, we're going to the hospital now. And he took me to the emergency room, um, and that's how I, how I really begun my recovery journey. Um, and, you know, physically, I was in bad shape. You know, they thought I might have liver damage. Um, my blood pressure was sky high. You know, I credit years and years of cardiovascular exercise um, to not having a stroke because my blood pressure was so high. They're all looking like I was going to explode. Um, which unfortunately, none of that happened. Um, but I was able to detox and, and um, that's how I began my journey. And that was on September 28, 2016. I think of the, the year. 2016 <laughs> is when that started. So that's my sobriety date. September 28, 2016. That's why um, if I, Matt, six years, right? If I can do the math right, six years in, in, in September. Yeah. Okay, will be six years. Um, so that's how it started. So, and you know, I had another ex um, who had already gone into treatment um, and was in recovery, and I was very open about my using because I was, you know, I had a really good job. I was paying for my drugs. I mean, you know, it was a secret from who I needed to keep it a secret from, but. I was one of these ones that thought that, you know, 
that I was like, I wasn't, a, I didn't think I was a junkie. I wasn't rejecting or anything, but I was pretty open about my using because paying for it. Anyway, so he knew all about my using and he recommended that I, that I go to a meeting for a while. And I'm like, I don't need that shit. You know, I have, you know, I have issues with organized religion. Um, but the part of the other thing in my story is um, when I was almost 20, my parents found out that I'm, that I'm gay and they threw me out um, and I never went back. <laughs> um, and that was very damaging also and ties into my story later on. But um, so yeah, organized religion and God, they were triggers for me. So I, I saw God, you know, the word God in the steps, the wondering part of it. Um, however, like they say in, in a lot of the groups uh, you hear around recovery rooms, um, you know, the window of willingness, right? The, 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 what is it? the, um, the gift of uh, desperation. desperation. Yeah. Gift of desperation. That's what I had. I finally got to the place where I was ready to do anything because I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. I tried and it never worked. Um, I knew that I had this little window. I was in detox for a while and, I, and my system was clean because I was locked up and couldn't, you know. And so I had a small window I knew that where I was okay, but I didn't know how to not use it again. Um, so at this point, I was like, okay, I'll try one of these meetings and see what, see what it's about. Um, I went to a meeting, um, it was in October of 2016. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just sat and listened. And in the course of that one hour, I heard everyone telling my story, right? Different people, of course, different races, backgrounds, but everyone was telling a piece of my story. And I knew, I knew right then, I knew in the course of that hour, that I was in the right place and that there was hope and that, that there is a possibility, there's a way out of this thing that I previously could not find a way out of. And that's kind of how it started for me. Um, so I just listened to what was told of me, right? Told to me, you know, just get a sponsor. I didn't know what a sponsor was. Okay, so I came back to the next meeting and I think I shared in the meeting that I needed a sponsor. And after the meeting, you know, everyone wanted to meet me and stuff. And I'm meeting all these people and they're like, hi, hi, hi. And someone taps on my, on my shoulder. I turn around and it's the sky. And, and someone says, hey, do you need a sponsor? I heard you need a sponsor. I said, yeah, I need a sponsor. And they're like, hey, I'm looking for a sponsor. And they're like, yeah. And so, boom, that was it. Okay, that's this guy. I didn't know what, what, he, what he, you know, what it was about or anything like that. And so he said, well, you know, here's my number. Give me a call, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so I followed his instructions, whatever they were. Um, I was a little fried still at this point, which my sponsor loves to remind me. <laughs> a lot of this is kind of blurry to this day. But um, I followed whatever instructions he gave me. And we met shortly thereafter. Um, and he gave me the literature that, that he works with, which happens to be, um, you know, the, the, the book I'm using, I'm called Synonymous. Um, and so, which I had never seen before. I'd never heard of it. Um, and so we met and we talked and um, we began to work as, as described in this literature. Um, now my sponsor, he got sober in 1999. Um, and so, um, and he's the only sponsor I've ever had, right? I thought this is my first time. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I credit a lot of the way my, my recovery is shaped to him because he handed down what was given to him 
And so that's what I try to do also with people that I work with today. Um, and so, yes, my sponsor is one of these ones that are called Epic Thumper, and I also call that too. Um, <laughs> gentle mind. I mean, you know, um, and I'm not even sure how it really happened because I wasn't one of these ones that like studied every page. And, um, and honestly, <laughs> I was so fried when I first started that I couldn't read. Like my mind wouldn't stop long enough to read a page. I had to find, there are YouTube videos, um, which, are, which are audio recordings of someone reading the book. And I downloaded those and I had to listen to them. I still have those recordings today, by the way. And I listened to them because I couldn't read. My mind wouldn't stop long enough to read. So started this work, didn't know what it was about. Um, and that's kind of where it began. Um, you know, there's a lot more, of course, going into that. But I mean, I, I think we want to move on from there. But <laughs> Well, I do have a question. So, like, of course, considering um, the unfortunate events with coming out to your parents, kicking out, and the kind of the prejudice and resentments that we have against uh, a god. And, of course, how did you manage to get through step two and three if you kind of had this hatred? Okay, so that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, so I guess I should say I'm 54 years old, right? And I know, well, you a lot of people, when they meet me, they don't realize that because I'm fortunate enough that I don't, I haven't fallen apart yet on the, on the outside. <laughs> um, so this was back in the 80s. Um, so, um, you know, so I was, I'm not sure if I should say it or not, but I was raised in a very, a lot of people consider it a cult. I'm um, see people can guess. A lot of people consider it a cult, um, but it's not a cult. But it is a very small um, I guess it's a Christian sect because they do believe in Jesus Christ, um, but in a different way than most Christian groups do. Um, <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm assuming it's Latter-day Saints. Close, but no. Um, Jehovah's mm -hmm. Witness. I mean, I don't oh, okay. have a problem with saying that. Um, anyway, so, and I, you know, when I was raised from a toddler, that's all that I knew, right? Um, so that's a whole other thing, right? I never celebrated holidays or birthdays. But anyway, so, you know, I can remember when I got to be a teenager. So I started experimenting sexually with my friends, you know, my best friend especially. Um, and so... I knew something was going on, but I was naive. Like I said, this is back in the 80s. And so I thought really that it was just a phase that everyone went through. And I thought I'd meet some girl and get married and go on. Well, so when my parents found out, um, I understood somehow, I'm not even sure how, but at the time I understood that God, whatever that is, and I, when I say God, I mean it in a generic term. Um, God knew my heart. God knew that I wasn't behaving. To me, I didn't see it as sin because it was, I was being authentic. Um, and I felt like God knew that because God knew my heart. Um, and I don't know how I came to that way of thinking. I'm so glad that I did because that could probably save me. Um, because I know people who didn't believe that way and have, you know, committed suicide. Um, but so it was never God that I had issues with. It was organized religion. Um, 
So yeah, and then living on the Gulf Coast where there's like churches on every corner and everybody's like, oh, what church do you go to? I mean, it's like, what's your name? You know, uh, how old are you? What church do you go to? You know, that's like the question that people ask me. Yeah. Um, I mean, Texas is the same way. I mean, we're, of course, Texas is a very uh, Bible Belt state. So we got churches. I have two churches literally out, right outside my neighborhood. And you know, and I was living in, in Pensacola, Mobile, that area. I don't know how I even all stay open. I mean, there are so many. There's not even the people to go to all these churches. I, but that's a whole side issue. I was gonna say we won't go. We won't go there. <laughs> so that that was really. So that was really it. So my thing was a distrust of organized religion. It was. It wasn't God. It was man's man's interference with things that were godlike, which still caused distrust with 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 the steps because you know, from my opinion, it was you know man-made thing right so i was just distrustful of that um but like i said with the gift of desperation i was able to sit all that aside oh also alcohol right because at the time i believed that meth was what took me down and it did but i also thought oh well i've always controlled alcohol i don't need to put everything which i find is a common belief right a lot of people i've heard say that right well i've only had a problem with this but not with that and my sponsor you know was able to just say, hey, okay, well, look, right? So you're healing, you're taking time to do this thing. Let's just set, set that question to the side for now. We'll do this work and then you can decide later. And so that you did. Because if you'd drawn a line in the sand, you, I probably would have just been like, oh, fuck this whole shit, right? But um, he did, you know, um, he said, let's set that aside and you can, and you can decide later. And fortunately, after doing this work, I then realized um, that it um that i did drink alcoholically and that it wasn't you know the alcohol and the meth um were really just symptoms of of the obsessive thinking that, that i fall prey to and it's the obsessive thought that is the issue and that's what i work my program around so, so of course of course after steps two and three we go into step four which mm -hmm is hell for many people it causes many people to go out especially when it comes to the form of like the resentments to people that we've had in our lives so how did you overcome that of course not to go out and how did it feel to finally move forward and let go of all these resentments that you built up over the years so here's the thing so yeah i agree with everything that you said um but, you know, my first time through the steps, and I've been through them now, I think four times, I don't know. But my first time through the steps, I was still so fucked up um, that I wasn't even feeling much. So at the time, you know, I was separated from my husband um, and I was on a medical leave from work. Um, I was being treated for my mental health and all that. Um, so when I got to my fourth step, he was really the center of it, right? Because besides my dealer, my husband was the only other person that I really had in the interaction. People at work, like, you know, they were my other thing. But really, it was just my husband um, because my world had become that small, right? It was about, and he didn't know. Well, he knew at the end, like the first half of our marriage, we were married, we were together three years. Um, the first half of that, he didn't even know. Um, he's from 
small town in Mexico, very naive. Um, so he didn't know. I was hiding it from him um, until he found out. Um, and so, yeah, my entire marriage was about making sure that I could get my drugs and get from him. <laughs> um, so my world had become very small. Um, so my, my first fourth step was mostly about him. And um, again, I was willing to just go through this process. I didn't know what it was. It was a little hard because at, when I first, when I, when we first looked at it, I was like, you know, I have to make everything my fault. That's whether I, you know, because for me, I thought I had this moral high ground in my relationship um, because, you know, go into all that, but I, I just believe I had, I had moral high ground in my relationship. Um, and it wasn't until I was able to really set aside my pride um, and embrace some humility that I realized what my part in the problems in my marriage were. And so, yes, there were, th I was, you know, I never cheated on my husband. Um, you know, I well, that's probably the only good thing that I did, really. But, you know, I lied basically from day one. From the day we met, I was I was abusing meth and, you know, until he found out and I lied the entire time, right? Um, so I definitely did have a part to play in that. And when I was able to embrace the part that I played in these situations um, and then extend to him the, the grace that I so freely extended to myself, right? Like I was judging myself by my intention of him by his actions. And so when I was able to let that go and understand that he's a child of God, um, he's doing the best he could. Um, and, you know, we were just where we were, right? I, I was able to let a lot of that go. And it, and it didn't feel so like punitive, right? I didn't, it, it didn't make me feel like I was so bad anymore because I really, I understood that yeah, I was just doing the best that I could. Um, I wasn't a bad person. I just made some poor choices um, based on some motives that were driving me in, in a bad direction. And that's really what it's about. Um, so, you know, and I do understand that a lot of people get hung up on step four, but I'm here to tell you, getting hung up step four is an extension of self. You're making it about yourself. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this, why you do a step four, is to see all the ways that living a life but on self will has run you aground, has caused you problems, has caused you pain. Um, so yeah, so what I tell my sponsors today is this. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a perfect step four, you know? You ask for the willingness to be willing if you need to, and you just get it down. Whatever you get down, you get down. You know, and if you've got to set a time limit, um, that's fine. And sometimes, sometimes I'll do that. I'll set a deadline. I don't push though. I try to not push. But if if the sponsor wants to set a set a you know set their own time, that's that's fine. Um, but certainly, I would say within two weeks, the person should be able to to get a step forward down. And whatever you've got, got down, you've got down. Because you know what? You can always do another one.
You're listening to The Sober Unicorn. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Von Shine Creatives at handmadeandgreat.com. Von Shine Creatives is a sober-owned business featuring finely crafted goat's milk and vegan soaps. Treat yourself or someone you love today. Take $5 off of 25 on all your purchases site-wide, and remember, it's always free shipping. Use the coupon code SOBER, which helps support Von Shine Creatives and the Sober Unicorn Podcast all at once. Link and coupon code will be in the bio. Now back to our episode. Yeah, I mean, I think my step four, I did in 24 hours. Right. And, I mean, that hoe was like 17 pages. Ooh. But, it, yeah, and like, it's, but I've forgotten, like, I forgot certain people, and then it's like, it's okay if you forget initially, just because it's not like that's the only time you're ever going to do right. that. And see, that's the thing. This is this is where this is, and that's why I say that's why I say getting hung up with step four is an is an extension of self, because you're not trusting the, the system, the process. If you trust the process, and just get down what kind of bubbles up to the surface. That's what you'll focus on, um, and that's what's meant to be there. Um, and yeah, you can always go back. And generally, anyway, uh, you know, most people kind of have the same. Um, we kind of tend to have the same, we have patterns that, that we get into anyway, right? So, I mean, after a while, it may be different situations, but it kind of revolves around the same behaviors or the same shortcomings, as we call them. I don't like, I don't like to call them character defects because people are like, what does that mean? I kind of call them shortcomings. That, that phrase is used um, in, in the literature too. Um, you know, and a shortcoming can be a, a variety of things. You know, it's often referred to as, the seven deadly sins, if you want to use those, you know, pride, lust, greed, whatever. But there's other things, you know, like, um, like, um, uh, like, uh, uh, it escapes you when you need it. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, having, having expectations, um, that are, that are, uh, what is the word? And, um, like, uh, for me, it's like obtainable, uh, realistic. Unrealistic expectations. Yeah, maybe. that that could be one, right? If I if I place my value system on everybody that I meet, and I expect everyone that I meet to behave the way that I behave in situations, that is an unrealistic expectation, and that is my attempt at playing God because I want them to behave like me, and that is my problem, um, and that's a shortcoming. So there's a, there's a variety of things that that can go into it, right? It's not just the seven deadly sins, although those are an easy kind of way to kind of pick things yeah and i think i as many as as much as we want to think that to some individuals that oh it was never our fault we didn't do anything wrong it's just like if you truly sit down at least for me when i truly sat down and like really thought about it like other than one person i had a part in every single situation um, there's one person that me and my sponsor kind of went back and forth on about, well, you had to have a part. And I was like, nah, bitch. Like, I had no part in this resentment. Like, no fault of my own. But that's that's a whole nother story. Um, and one thing I'm kind of glad you mentioned it, because often what comes up, too, um, are things from our childhood, right? So my parents obviously came up as a, as a discussion about resentment. Um, 
and I ended up not putting my parents on my resentment list. Um, now, granted, by the time I came in when I was 48, so you know it was it was um, 30 years. It had been 30 years um, almost since I since they kicked me out, and I'd been to therapy, and I hadn't resolved everything. So, but I did come to the understanding that they did the best they, that they could, even though it wasn't enough for me. They did the best they could at the time, and I kind of moved on from that. But the problems that I experienced from that are my problems. Like I have, I have really bad abandonment issues now from that experience with them. So the issues around my, um, my abandonment issues are what ends up on my inventory, inventory now, but those are my problems, not theirs, right? Um, my parents never ended up there. Um, you know, I've worked with sponsors who have, have suffered abuse. Of course, a child has no part in being abused. They just don't, right? Um, now, how that abuse shows up in their behavior later on, they may be responsible for, right? Depending on what it is. Um, so that's the kind of thing. Um, and oftentimes, too, you know, my part in this situation may be as simple as sticking around. You know, once someone shows you who they are, you're no longer a victim, you're a volunteer. Mm-hmm. So if you see who they are and you stay around expecting them to be different, that's another unrealistic, unrealistic expectation, right? Um, because we can only be who we are today. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it's just sticking around someone that you know cannot be anything other than who they are. Um, so, so yeah, um, so what are we going to ask? So my other question is, of course, like beyond step four, um, the, the, the 12 steps teach us to take a nightly inventory um, when it like kind of to review our day and what happened. So, of course, we don't want new resentments to creep up. We don't want all these these demons of our past to keep continue to, to come up. So how important is it to you to take that nightly inventory and review your day? So it's very important. Um, so um, really quickly, um, so the inventory, the whole purpose of the inventory, the why of it is to see, like I said, where, where um, our ego uh, where our self-centeredness, where our selfishness had got in the way and caused issues, right? And so once you determine what those things were, and that's where you get down to the shortcomings, right? To the pride, to the to the character defects, whatever you want to call them. Once you've established those, those are the things then that you want to watch out for. And then in six and seven, that's what you ask your higher power to remove those things, right? And those things are not like removed forever, right? They come back. And so that's what the nightly inventory is for, right? If you find, so in the 12 and 12, it, it talks about being bothered, right? Being bothered. I think it's on page 91. Um, but anyway, so it's about being bothered because the other thing is the word, the word resentment is often kind of fuzzy because sometimes I'm just bothered about something and I'm like, is that resentment? No. So, my, you know, I gauge things now by if something's bothering then to me that's enough to merit looking into. So if something's bothering me, um, I, I then get it down. I now use an app. There are a variety of apps. Um, and the app is based on the questions on page 86, I believe it is. You know, we, you know go through a day, where was I resentful, was I afraid? Questions listed in that paragraph on page 86. 
Um, and the, the app for me is just convenient because I can get it down. I don't have paper everywhere. Um, and also, I think I paid for like one three bucks or whatever. So I can, they're, they're archived, right? So I can go back and look. So I use that. Um, and I don't even wait until the night for me. If something's bothering me, I'll get it down then. Um, and there's also what they call the spot check inventory, which I don't do. To me, I always just use the nightly format, right? If something's bothering me, I just look at that whole list of questions. This is one, 10, 10 questions. Um, and for me, um, the reason why that's important to do is because the more that I do that, I found when things come up, then I'm, they're, they're dealt with and gone. And so when I choose to work the steps again at some point, my fourth step has, has always gotten shorter and shorter and shorter because all those things were spiritually treated and, and done. Um, so that's, that's what I find the importance of, of, of keeping up with an inventory, a nightly inventory. Because it keeps you, it, it keeps that connect that connection to your higher power clean, clear. Um, because the shortcomings, the resentments, the fears, all those things lock you off from your connection to your higher power, whatever your higher power is. And that's the why. That's why it's so important to keep your side of the street clean. Because keeping your side of the street clean keeps that connection to your higher power open. And my connection to my higher power is what's kept me off of drugs and alcohol for this for this length of time. Um, because like I said, I tried on my own. If I could have done it on my own, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't do <laughs> it, right? Um, so it's important to me to remember to keep my side of the street clean and keep that connection clear. Um, because I'm just as much of an addict today as I was six years ago. And if I don't maintain um, this work, if I don't push myself out of my comfort zone every now and then, um, if I don't look to see where I can be of service, um, if I don't try to embrace humility um, when I can, if I don't make sure that I use restraint of pen and tongue or keyboard, um, those things will pile up again. And once they pile up, those are the things that caused me pain because it's the frustration, it's it's the it's it's the it's the fear, it's the feeling that I'm I'm misunderstood, it's the it's the thinking that everybody hates me. Those things build up over time, and that's what I drank. I drank because I didn't want to and used because I didn't want to feel those feelings. When I would drink, um, I would feel invincible and used. I would feel invincible. I feel like I didn't need anybody. I wouldn't feel afraid. I wouldn't feel like a piece of shit. All those things, that's why I drink and use. And so today, I can, I don't have to do those things. I don't have to drink and use because I'm aware of the inherent goodness of my authentic self. And this work has allowed me to find out more and more each day who that authentic self is. Um, and I think, no, yeah, no, 100%. I think. That's one thing I think that sobriety has kind of taught me is that during drinking and using that we kind of lose ourselves as people. We lose our personality. We lose track of who we are. And over time of sobriety, I, I don't think we ever stop learning um, because it's like every day when things come up in life, instead of using and drinking to numb the situation, forget about it, we have to take it head on. 
we have to cope we have to deal with it um yes we're able to hand it over to our higher power but also those problems in day-to-day life they don't go away i mean we deal with rejection from men we deal with this as a society we deal with political issues we deal with heartbreak and so every time a new situation comes up that we have to cope with in our journey is another teaching moment of like defining and realizing who we are as individuals and if the same app that you use is the one i use it's not sponsored but i think it's called the 12-step toolkit um that app is awesome especially i believe if you're a paid member you can actually share your inventory with your sponsor so if anybody does zoom meetings because that's preferable you're able to like share your you're not having to text it out and they can make comments on it and so on and so forth um so that app is actually incredibly useful so before we kind of bring the episode to an end um is there anything that you haven't shared that you would like to let everybody know um i just would like everyone to know that um if you are having a problem where you find once you start can't stop um, and your life is seemingly kind of spinning out of control more and more um, there is a way out um, but you have to be ready to make some changes you know um, if you if you think that you have a way that you can put yourself out of the situation by all means try every way you know how because you know another thing since i came in so late um i see guys you know most of my friends are like your age you know 20 years younger um and i don't know how you guys do it because like when i was your age yeah i would have totally thought oh well i can i can do this i don't care i don't do that but when i came in i was absolutely ready and um and i'm grateful for that um, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity because a lot of people don't get the opportunity because they don't live that long, right? Um, so if you think that you can fix it on your own, by all means, try. Because, and once you, once you feel like you've exhausted all your means to, to resolve this issue with whether it's alcohol or drugs um, or whatever, you know, there is another way that you can try. Um, and, and, and it's brought nothing but joy to my life. Has it always been easy? No. Um, is my life, uh, you know, a living parade? No. Like you said, there are still problems that I deal with. Um, um, there's still ups and downs, good times and bad times, but I know that I can go through anything I don't have to use. Um, so it's just a matter of just staying connected, minor power, uh, you know, making sure that my my side of the street is clean, as we say, which means to make sure that I'm addressing any of my shortcomings or, or, or my tendencies to, to be selfish or, 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 or you know, ego-driven um, and, 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 and work with others. So. Yeah, like, I mean, as Daniel says, keeping your side of the street clean, if anybody doesn't know what that means, essentially that means just worry about what, you're, what yourself, what you're able to control in your own little bubble. And essentially... Also, it's whatever what anybody else thinks of you is none of your fucking business. Like you hard. can't you can't control other people, you can't control situations that happen out in the world. So it's like all you can control is like what's in like kind of your four walls in a way. Um so as long as you 
deal with that and deal with that. Like if your stuff is handled, then you can go out into the world and cope with and deal with all the issues on the outside of it. And, you know, we could have a whole hour talking about letting go. Um, and, and what you say is true, but it's, it, it is hard, you know, it's hard because of course we all want to be liked. We all want to be appreciated. Um, but sometimes we have to accept or, you know, we have to accept that if someone has an opinion of us, whether it's true or not, and we can't change that. We have to let them have that opinion. Um, and maybe they'll come around and maybe they won't. I don't know. But, you know, trying to change something that's really that's outside of our control is really just a recipe for just pain. Uh, so exactly. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us today. <sighs> thank you for asking me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were a little nervous. Hopefully the nerves went away. Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, you mentioned about how, how we kind of were met in passing. I'm like, <laughs> I have like two personalities. So did you see the show? Um, I, don't even I remember. did. I saw um, you at the talent show and then I saw you at the show. So that's my one personality. But I'm like painfully shy. The reason why you probably didn't see me at the, at the other things was because I probably like ran and hid because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very shy. But, you know, if anyone out there who runs across me at some place, please say hi. Um, and if you'd like to get in touch with me, Holden has my, my contact information. Um, be happy to hear from you about uh, recovery related issues. Awesome. Well, have a wonderful day and let me know about fireworks later. <laughs> Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at the Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at the Sober Unicorn There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn.